Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Hello, welcome to another episode of Soundtracking with me, Edith Bowman. Welcome along. I am very grateful that you are joining me for another episode of my weekly podcast where I get to enthuse about the creativity in the film and TV world and that special relationship that they both have with music. And every episode, every week is different and unique to the person that we speak to. And it doesn't really matter the depth of conversation that we can have about music. Some weeks it's a deep dive like uh, Mark Mothersburg was pretty deep with regards to some of the projects that he worked on. Last week was a wonderful exploration of the fantastic documentary about Ennio Morricone, which if you haven't seen yet, it is available on various streaming platforms. So I highly encourage you to go and seek it out. It is a wonderful, wonderful it's just a wonderful story, if nothing else, even if you're not a fan of his work. So um, there we go. Also, just to say a massive thank you to people who have been getting in touch. It's been lovely emails and tweets and direct messages and all that kind of thing. It's absolutely wonderful. So I really appreciate it. Also, at the time of recording this, it's Sunday evening, the 15th of May. And um, I'm slightly giddy because tomorrow morning I'm off to see the new Top Gun. Can't wait. In preparation for it, I went to, I didn't go anywhere, but I watched the, the old one, the original Top Gun. Um, and oh, it was such a great experience to go back and relive that. It'd been so long since I'd watched the original Top Gun. So um, that's because coming up in a future episode, we'll feature someone uh, involved in the new Top Gun film. So stay tuned, folks. But this week, we have an actor for you who I think is about to be stratospheric. Um, I think he's wonderful and I think he's hugely talented and underneath all of that, just a really nice person. Jack Loudon, in my opinion, should be the next James Bond. But in the meantime, you can watch him in lots of wonderful productions. Dunkirk, England is Mine, Fighting With My Family, Slow Horses, many others. And of this week, Benediction. Now, we'll hear plenty about Jack's relationship with music in a moment, but first, we are very excited to have teamed up with View on the podcast, something that you'll hear more about over the coming weeks. Now, I'm a regular at my local View in Stroud. It's the perfect place to switch off and get lost from the outside world by completely immersing yourself in the big screen experience without any pings or distractions. And I really do feel like there's nowhere better to really get into the story without a phone going off. I was there just last weekend with my 13-year-old to watch Doctor Strange in the multiverse. 
For me, it's important, like this podcast, that my local cinema has a real variety of films offering the big blockbusters, but also showing support and space for smaller, more independent films. And what's incredibly exciting is that View Entertainment has joined forces with the British Film Institute, the BFI, to bring diverse and creative films from the BFI to all its 88 venues across the UK. The BFI Presents at your local view screenings will showcase stories that otherwise might be hidden gems, not shown across the country every month. Now, this all kicks off this week, the 18th of May, with a preview screening of the aforementioned Benediction, which stars Jack, Peter Capaldi, Simon Russell Beale, amongst others. And for more information and tickets, just head to myview.com. View is the ultimate place to escape with the best seat, screen and sound. And so to Jack Loudon. And we'll begin with the theme song from Slow Horses, featuring, as it does, a theme tune by Mick Jagger and our old friend Daniel Pemberton. Cloudon, welcome to Soundtracking. Thank you. This is very good because, well, there's lots actually. When I was when I was sitting down thinking about how I'm going to talk to you about music, there's a lot actually. Be that your amazingly entertaining impersonations of Julie Pa's keyboard player during lockdown, which was oh, one yeah. of my favourite things that made me laugh during lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> so good. <laughs> no one's seen that. Just go and look on Jack's feed and look at his brilliant, sort of, it's almost like an um, air keyboard to Julie Pa. <laughs> one kiss is, oh, it's brilliant. So good. You really made me chuckle on a really crap day. So thank you for that. Good. But um, where does music for you fit into work? in terms of what you do as, a, as an actor and now producer and filmmaker? Well, everywhere, because when I was younger, I started doing that thing very early on of timing when I'd come round the side of a building <laughs> to the drop in in a in a track in my headphones, amazing. pretending that I was in a film. I love that. And, and it's quite, what's quite amazing is the amount of different actors that I've admit that to that say oh my god I did, the, I did the exact same thing and you'd sort of no get it right and you'd end up like from a distance you look like a maniac that you're this is before of, you were acting properly before, before I was being paid to do it <laughs> I, that's what I was doing was just sort of going back and forth around the same corner to try and time it <laughs> and then like putting bits of music on that were like imagining we're at the end of the film as if we just pulled off one of the world's greatest you know, heists. That's awesome. And that sort of reflective staring into middle distance kind of 
I used to do that all <laughs> the time. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Did you have a go-to track for the drop around the corner of the building? Uh, a lot of Joy Division. Good. Oh, nice. Um, Transmission in particular, and uh, Love Will Tear Us Apart. Like the greatest intros to any song is in is is it, it, it's the, those kind of things are sort of perfect, but it really determines what kind of film you're making in your head, you know. Uh, that's so cool. Yeah, that so that that's that's probably in terms of the connection to film. That's probably. It. But I was in. I did. I danced as a kid with my brother, and I did lots of um. Lo- all I did was musicals. At amateur operatic level did you? in the Scottish Borders. Yeah, I did that in Fife too. Did you? Yeah, I mean, I didn't get any parts. The, the nearest I got to a part was playing Annie, the, the sorry, the dog in Annie, Sandy. Right. And I got told not to sing because dogs don't sing. I mean, it's true. It's like, come on, we're in it's the acting world. Surely it I get imagination, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. No. Oh, so, brutal. Yeah. Who was that in Anstruther? Yeah, Anstruther uh, Amateur Dramatics. Yeah, Mr. Right. Small was a lovely man, but yeah. Yeah, small minded. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Now, I think the first time that I was lucky enough to chat to you professionally was when I was doing the breakfast show and you came in cool. with Mark to talk about England is Mine. Oh my God, yeah. Which is seven years, six years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2016, yeah. Where, I mean, some people might not know about this film, but you played Morrissey, basically, a young pre-Smith's Morrissey or going into Smith's Morrissey. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it was a really fascinating project and, and kind of just, I mean, it was my introduction to your... Incredible talents, young man. But I wanted to, can we go back to that for a second as well? Because that was quite an interesting, because they weren't, you, you weren't given access to, to Smith's music and that kind of thing. So that must have been quite a, an interesting way to approach the character without being able to explore him through his music of that time, I guess. Yeah, I mean, what, what was quite handy was, obviously, I could listen to all the, all the Smith's tracks I wanted to and things like that in, in, in the prep and because Mark was adamant that the film was very much the lyrics were in the film, yeah, and it was about where the lyrics come from, um, and the fact that we couldn't get the music was a bit of a pain. We we only really wanted one track for the end. We mm. wanted "How Soon Is Now," yeah, for the end of the film, which is sort of the moment that he turns into Morrissey, yeah, and stops being this teenager in Manchester. It worked though. It did work. I think it's a it's a sort of um. It's the film is definitely more of a portrait, you know, than than a biopic. It, you know, I, I said it before that it's almost weird that it, a shame that it was about Morrissey because it it's really just about a a young teenager in that mad mad scene in the, in Manchester mm-hmm. in the eighties seventies and eighties who who doesn't like what he sees in the mirror and sort of tries on different personas mm-hmm. until he lands on one that he thinks uh, works and you know it did. With your background in singing and dancing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. have you ever been offered a musical yet? On film, on no. film, no. Why not? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's 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 to the great shame of the industry that that hasn't been tapped. I agree. Uh, uh, because you know it would be incredible. <laughs> no, 
I think the idea. See, the, I, I would. It, I, I wouldn't write it out, but I, the idea of doing it has always been a thing to do on stage. It's the absence of a of an audience. Yeah. I, I think I'd find that weird. Mm-hmm. I already find it weird. The, the transition from theatre into film. The fact that there's there's not an audience. I still find it strange. I was shooting something yesterday, and I just think. It's that part, you know, you do, you want an applause. Are you waiting for confirmation from the, you're looking at someone to give you some kind of sign going, that was great, or yeah. or a wee ripple from the, from the yeah. gaffer or something. Just yeah, like, exactly, <laughs> the gaffer, nothing. They just stand there and they're just thinking about lunch. But you, but, but the, the, the thing of, of making people laugh was, was what I always loved to do, rather than necessarily getting applauded, was making yeah. people laugh, the satisfaction. Yeah. And it's a pain on a film set because if you make anyone laugh, you, you, they get fired, you know, if they laugh. <laughs> yeah. So it's um, it's the nearest that you get is that you see someone out the corner of your eye, you see the, like their shoulders go up to their ears so they're trying not to laugh. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. And you like smashed it. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, nailed it. But I, no, no, that's what I'd miss for sure. But that's the great thing is, is when you look at all the different stuff that you've done, it's like fighting with my family being a great example of, I mean, a film that i so great, so funny. And also talk about like laughter on that set. I imagine when you've got like Nick Frost and you've uh, got Merchant and you've got like, and Florence as well, she's brilliant, you know, yeah. and, and you and that, just that whole, I mean, that scene with Dwayne, <laughs> we've watched, I remember the kids before we were able to watch it at home because I wasn't allowed to take them to the cinema because it's at home, you could let them watch it. And we had to wait till it came out at home and we watched that trailer so many times and just that line <laughs> he's like he calls like calls you like some about Harry Potter or something as well and yeah, it's something just, like oh, Oliver Twist so looking brilliant. malnourished Harry something Potter. yeah it's brilliant and he did that in one take <laughs> it's like really annoyingly impressive but that must have been like proper like laugh a minute vibes whilst it, getting the work done obviously oh I I mean it, it is it's the, the the hardest thing for me is that when I know something's funny <laughs> um, or the worst possible situations where I know I've done something funny <laughs> yeah. is that I want to laugh even if I know the way uh, something looks in, in the frame, like the frame, uh-huh. I think the, the frame of a camera can make something look incredibly funny just by where you place certain things happening in the frame. And when I know what it looks like, like like in England is mine, there was a lot of stuff where it was just watching him mincing about down a corridor with in, a, in the tax office, yeah. you know, really bored, hating life. And knowing, knowing what he... Like, you know, I had that big wig on and sort of like looked like a pull through for a rifle, like, <laughs> and just knowing that I would find it funny. Um, I find it very, very difficult. Are you hard work on set then when you're trying to basically make everyone laugh and everyone's trying to be serious? Yeah. I did a scene, did a scene recently in something, which I still can't, I still can't talk about yet. I don't think it's been announced. Is it James Bond? No, it is not. <laughs> and I was shooting, we were shooting, we were shooting this and it was a very intense scene with intense people okay. and an intense moment in it. And I just wanted somebody to fart or something. Like you wanted something to go, something to fall over because it's like, um, you ever get when you play tennis? I don't know if, or if your kids get that. When I was younger, whenever you play tennis and a rally or a table tennis and a yeah. rally goes on too long, oh, yeah. I just start giggling. <laughs> yeah. My brother starts doing it yeah. as well. We just start giggling because they cannot stand the tension. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of hit that point in the scene the other day. It's yeah. funny you mentioned farting because I'm, Abs slow horses, I've got to say, is phenomenal. It's so good. And um, at the time of recording this chat, um, I've been able to watch three episodes and I'm desperate to see the rest of it. It's so great because it's such a unique tone to it. Gary Oldman, I mean, I mean, what can you say about Gary Oldman? Uh, lots, obviously, but 
his character is so brilliant. And he farts. Did he fart live whilst you were filming or is that went in post? I mean, it's just, it's quite, it it's a post. really weird question to no, ask. No, it's not. And, and you'd be surprised. You wouldn't be surprised how many times we've been asked that already. <laughs> Sorry to be boring. No, no, he, he, no, he did not fart live. He, <laughs> but he made the movement and the sort of requisite sort of tilting the lifting of one side of his body <laughs> and then handed it, in his words, handed it over to the sound department. And I said before, I, I always, what my dream would be is if the sound team won an award <laughs> for their, not just that, but for their work on Slow Horses and yeah. would have to stand on stage, it's one of them, <laughs> and talk about adding the sort of the noises of, of flatulence. What would Gary Oldman's farts yeah, sound like? I think like? They, played, they played with totally different... <laughs> Like they play with loads, um, and Gar- I think Gary had the final say. <laughs> what is he like though? How would you describe him? He's just hmm. wonderful. It's like being pulled. I've said it. It's like being pulled up on the floor by Gene Kelly. It's like oh wow, going for a dance with somebody that that just will take you anywhere you want to go, and you sort of have to stand there and look pretty. <laughs> he's kind of he's kind of gorgeous, and he. But my favourite thing about working with him, um, and it's actually what I. I've become more and more interested in the other side of it is watching him work mm. it out and watching him get halfway through something and think that's not right and start again and watch him try stuff. It's so to speak like his mistakes are what I love that he perceives as mistakes. Wow. It's quite remarkable. I mean, he, but he comes from a heavy theatre background, which means he's completely rooted in everything he does and has done an un- unbelievable amount of prep, learnt everything, mm. rocks up on set. You know, there's no mincing about wasting time. He just knows exactly everything he needs to do and then he can, from that place, you know, play around and um, to do it with him. And it's... You two are great on screen together. Oh, it, he's... It, <laughs> that's an example of what we're talking about, about being funny, is that I know, to a large extent, River... My character is the is the straight man, so to speak, and so Gary. What Gary does is hilarious, but River can add the extra sort of ten percent mm-hmm. by being the audience, in essence, or the wall, you know, next to him. And I, you know, I'm sort of one big eye roll next to Gary, <laughs> and he's just, and he's char- my character's just in a constant huff, and I know it's funny because River can't laugh at himself because he's so pissed off he's so determined to get back to where he wants to be but that makes me laugh even more in my head (laughs) the tension yeah the tension (laughs) yeah he's just wonderful he's a wonderful book one of the most nerve-wracking things i did during lockdown was do a a zoom q a with him and fincher from mank oh my god and (laughs) that was exactly my feeling as well but they were both their enthusiasm for what they do and their like you say their kind of meticulousness but openness was so infectious. It was a real masterclass, actually, in in their relationship as well, which was really interesting to hear and watch and observe how they are together sort of thing as well. I thought that was a really interesting and beautiful thing to be able to observe, actually. Yeah, because, I mean, F- Fincher is a perfectionist. Fincher does, what does he do, like something? 800 takes. Yeah, and Gary, Gary's told me that when he was doing it, you yeah. know, and it comes over and gives you about 15, 16 notes. You're lucky if you play two. <laughs> Uh, and you just keep going and going, and and um, but that's why I think to come on to to then come on to something like Slow Horses, it, the the essence of it is that you've got to be having fun. You've got to be having fun on a set like that, yeah, because it is ultimately a fun piece. It's not a piece that sort of 
deals with any issues, makes any kind of political point or anything like that. It's it's something that is pure escapism and adventure and imagination. And I think we have we had to go about it like that. So we had a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Even like the car that Gary's character drives just makes me laugh yeah. as well. It's just everything about it. I just think it's so brilliant. It's like, I think I know what this show's about and you don't at all. And you've never seen any of it before. That's no. what I love about it. We didn't. We had no idea. We we were like, <laughs> the tone was so difficult. We had no idea. We thought, we just sort of like punt and then hope that something comes out. Because, it, yeah, it's a very, very difficult balance. River, um, he needs a good night out. Yeah, he he needs, needs to a... chill out and listen to some music. Yeah, he does. He <laughs> does he listen lot. to music? He, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think back into my character prep. Uh... Do you do that? Do you kind of go backstory wise and go, how how did he get to this point? Is that something you talk about? I'm not for every character, I imagine, but for certain roles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That was a really high pitch. Sort of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Higher. No, not, not as... I did. I mean, that's the great thing about being able to do it as long as I've been lucky enough to do it, is just sort of letting things drop off that do not work yeah. for me, you know, and trying stuff out. And it's... Um, I, I just have to know the lines back to front, inside out, as you know, and and feel confident. And those two things, that's fine. Everything else I sort of try and leave to the day. But with him, does River listen to music? I doubt he listens to music. <laughs> I, I, I think it would just annoy him. Everything would just annoy him. You know, I think, um, or he might be one of those guys that sort of like has to do the extreme and lock himself in like a cupboard and listen to heavy, 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 heavy metal. Or like know. that stuff that Nick Frost listen, Nick listens to, that really hardcore like yeah. rave. Rinse. Yeah. Yeah, his Sunday like, rinses. Just like... Whoa! Just pull on. It's yeah, just like grating your brain. It's yeah. mental. But he lives at the he extremes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's an extremity kind of guy. Benediction. It's yeah. a really important film for you. An incredible role. Incredible mm. performance. Talk to me a little bit about about that script coming to you and that character coming to you and what your kind of thoughts were and also going into it the sort of prep to play um play a, a young Siegfried Sassoon. Well, yeah. yeah it was just sent to me in the way that everything else normally is, and I would uh, read it. I just thought it was the best piece of writing um, I'd ever read when it came to screenplays. It was very fit piece of screenwriting worked out to a T. But the thing that's and obviously you know Terence's films are fantastic, and 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 Sassoon is you know I've known about Sassoon since high school, like everybody else would that did sort of the Great War poetry. But it was his regret. His severe sort of regret that I really sort of I, I could really ch- chime into because I'm not you know I've never fought in a war I've never written a poem I'm not English. never written a poem no not even at school <sighs> I wouldn't remember writing a poem come on we all got we all had to write Burns our version of Burns poems did at you school. yeah no 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 I don't think you even looked at Burns at school did you not. No, I we had to recite one every year for Burns Night. And Did like, you? To the school, yeah, yeah. I was doing... We were reciting you were doing Sassoon. Sassoon. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's the Scottish Borders for you. Um, but no, no, it, it, that, that, that's what sort of hit me really quickly about him. It was his regret and his sort of... Um, he just regret strewing life completely from in love, in choices that he made, in the fact that he didn't die in the First World War. He had to, he was one of, he was the only sort of one of three great poets that made it through. And I think that sort of shamed him for the rest of his life. And so he constantly, he tried to become, he converted to Catholicism. Um, He was just constantly trying to find things to belong to and didn't like himself at all. 
and in his writings, in his memoirs, his poetry is one thing, but his memoirs are incredible from the trenches uh, and his vanity and uh, honesty in how much he just wanted people to accept him and love him, mm. um, fancy him, you know, everything. He, um, I, just, I just found him such a remarkable, remarkable man. And then to do what he did and stand up and, uh, against war having been so, so, so established, establishment was, was amazing. Yeah. Mm. There's some great sort of pieces within the film that involve music that are the kind of, you know, the, the sort of lighter moments of, you know, the partying and all that kind of stuff. And the music of that era is kind of incredible and really sort of oh. parallel opposites of everything else that's going on in the world at that time sort of thing. It was the release, I guess, it was escapism, the entertainment mm -hmm. side of things. But the role like that, that's, that's a period piece that's set in a certain time and there's music around that sort of time. Does that form any part of research and prep for you, and does it help in any way? And I have uh, I, the Ivor Novello features in the film, yeah. Um, and I l knew a lot of Ivor Novello's music, but I found a, an album that was completely piano, and I'm I think it's him playing the piano a version of all of his songs, and it's the most sort of beautiful. On one hand, it sounds like instantly like sort of cocktail bar music, but on the other hand, it's very very um, transportative and and elegant and i would play that again and again and again and again i would just have that on the whole time <laughs> and it's but that's the amazing thing about music whenever you pick songs or listen to songs i guess that's the same with everybody in their life but for me i'm instant i instantly think about like whatever when i hear a piece of novello's music now i think about the ramada hotel in wolverhampton where i stayed for six weeks whilst we were shooting that instead of thinking about ivan novello or the sort of trials and tribulations of Sassoon. It, it's amazing that you those are the things you think of um but i, I would play it all the time it's so it's, i think there's one there's one track called glorious night i think it might be called something else but i play it because the other thing i love about music with film is the, the thing of con completely con contrasting what you see yeah and I play it all the time when I'm cycling around London, uh, whenever I'm in like a busy part of London, because it's incredibly sort of, it's sort of like, you know, Claire de Lune when they stuck Claire de Lune at the end of Ocean's Eleven. In that very, like we were talking about at the start, that very sort of reflective moment at the end and that sort of smug sort of we made it feeling that they have at the end of Ocean's Eleven. I, I still do it. I'm 31 now and I still do it. I stop in places in, in London and I play that glorious night track by Ivan Novello and I just oh, look wow. at everybody going about and I've, I, I think like I'm, I do I still think I'm at the end of a film and I've been through something God knows what but I've been through it and I just look at the faces of people that walk past me and they've got no idea that they're in the final shot of my film
it's weird. You've just like unlocked a memory for me actually talking about that. When I used to go skiing to Ab- Aviemore when I was a kid, uh-huh. I used to do something similar where I used to think I was in a, an action. <laughs> yeah. No, let it out. Skiing. Let it all out. <laughs> but with the weirdest piece of music. What music? If my friends could see me now. Right. You know that? Yeah. It's so weird. I just literally had some weird kind of flashback there. It's mad. I love that you still use that. That music's got a trigger for you in terms of like you need it. If I if I if I could walk about if I just (laughs) I I think about it all the time that life would be so. But I mean that's why you make films. But life would be so much more interesting if you had a constant soundtrack. (laughs) If you could, if 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 we can come up with something that you stick in your head that will just click a track and it will respond to whatever situation you walk into. Someone, if, if someone with Oh, you, I like that. If, Musical AI. Yeah, if someone you're with starts screaming at you, then they can play something that would probably... I imagine the effect it would have on a human being in a situation. Like if, if someone started screaming at you... Khalees, I hate you so much right yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, but then if you played, if you played something like counter- Claire de Lune, yeah. it would probably calm you down mm-hmm. and make you think and make Nothing's you pause. Nothing's going to change my love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just a teenage. Why is that there? Yeah, it's wrong. That's such a good idea. Yeah. I'm going to try that with my 13 year old son. That is absolutely how I'm going to smash that. That's such a great idea. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I want to talk about Master and Commander. I didn't realise that oh was God. one of your favourite <laughs> favorite films is, ever. It, it is my Still, favorite film. Is it? Hands down. Why and how? <laughs> it's, um, its soundtrack okay. is incredible. Mm hmm. relationship between the two men was a relationship that I'd never seen in a film before between two men. Mm -hmm. They were sort of like, I mean, you had this sort of, you know, very rough, swashbuckling, typical hero in Russell Crowe's, whoever he was, can't remember the name of the character, and then Paul Bettan, his botanist. Captain Jack Aubrey. Aubrey. Oh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, wow. What was Bettany's name in it? Bettany was Dr. Stephen Maturin. I'm cutting my specs. Stephen, I remember Stephen. Dr. Stephen Maturin. Yeah, I remember him. I remember Crow going, Stephen? <laughs> Stephen, do you mind? <laughs> Stephen, yeah. Yeah, enough. We'll, we'll have time for you. Yeah, because he always, <laughs> Stephen always, the botanist always wanted to get off the boat with his nets and his little bird like boxes and g- g- <laughs> get up like wildly important natural, you know, things and, and take them back and, and, produce them in front of like the, the geographic society or something like that and then Russell Crowe would go would like bomb past him and jump on top of the ropes and say there's a man of war over there is French and they'd all start firing cannons and it would cut back to Bettany basically doing a big eye roll like like a partner 
Like 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 they were a married couple, sort of going oh, off he goes again with his <laughs> his flintlock and his saber. <laughs> and but but the music track as well, and just the sense of adventure, the sense of adventure. Anything on the water, any shot of again with music, any shot of water moving with a track with with a music track i fall in love with i did it when we were shooting dunkirk i was about to ask about that yeah because when you we, were when we did dunkirk we used to the, the, the shooting that we did out in the north sea the dutch sea just off off the coast of the netherlands every time we'd finish in the middle middle of the sea we'd have to get a rib these fast fast ribs back to the shore and i remember i've still got it on my phone i've got this piece that i, I took a video because it was like a sunset or something like that and i was just filming the water as we were bombing past and it instantly went home and I put a track to it and I remember what was the track? I, uh, I can't remember I'll think okay. but I sent it please tell me you sent it to Didn't Nolan it? no I didn't send it to Nolan yeah Nolan <laughs> thoughts on the opening <laughs> no I sent it to um, I sent it to Hans Pe- what about yeah, this? yeah yeah I sent it to Peter Mullen oh yes I was I think I'd just I'd worked with him a year before and I, I took this and I put that music to it and I was so proud of it and it made it give me tingles like looking at it. And mm-hmm. I was like, God, the world must see this. So I sent it to Peter Mullen. And I remember <laughs> Mullen going, Aye, that's that's good. That was his message back. And right but rightly so. I mean, what would you say to that? Aww. Um but yeah, I've got an obsession with that kind of stuff. Any kind of movement like out the window of a moving car and you put music to it, I could get lost in that. I love the story that you told of um of Noah astride your cockpit. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. When I'm supposed to be imagining a Messerschmitt, I'm really just looking up the sort of long legs of one of the great filmmakers of his khaki trousers, looking at him. Yeah, <laughs> That's brilliant. But he, 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 yeah, that was an extraordinary film. Oh my god! Yeah. In terms, you know, kind of uh, all the, the the individual pieces, and I, I think what's wonderful about it as well is it's almost kind of like a number of short films that make up this whole yeah. wonderful, beautiful beast. Mm-hmm. Even just watching all those individual sections, you know, uh, mm-hmm. they're absolutely extraordinary things on their own. And then together they just make this kind of whole sort of kind of masterpiece, really, I think. Yeah. It, it, I mean, and I was 24, 25. Why, yeah. And to go to walk onto that set and then there's like, you know. Rylands. Rylands, Hardy, Killian Murphy, you know. Tom Glencarney. <laughs> Shout out to Tom. Harry Styles. <laughs> Stylesy. <laughs> Big Stylesy. You know, but yeah, but that, that. Did he yeah. sing on set? No, he did not sing on set. <laughs> no, he didn't. You know, a waste. Very good at it. You should have sang in the film. <laughs> just, ran, just randomly. Christopher, what about. <laughs> yeah. You've very clearly got uh, an amazing. You watch. You watch, you pay attention. Um, there's got to be aspirations. And I know that you've, you're involved in the behind the camera side of stuff as well. Kindred was a film, if you haven't seen it, that the Jack's production company made a fantastic film with Fiona Shaw in it. Oh my God. You played the piano in that, did you not? I did, yeah. Yeah. Claire Lune. Can you play the piano? Yeah. Very well. Yeah. Very I still good. dubbed it over though, in the No. I did. How rude. I don't see the oh, point in it. Oh, you were the boss. I know. Did you not? <laughs> yeah, who's they? Me. No, the director wanted to dub over it and he says, well, because that's what we do all the time. And actually, can I just say this? <laughs> see, see the money that directors productions, producers could save whenever you write a character into a film and they've got to learn to play an in- a musical instrument mm-hmm. and you spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds on giving actors lessons. Yeah. Right? Andrew and Garfield, do, tick, tick, boom. Right, and they do it, but they always end up, unless they very specifically sort of lame is kind of style, want to record it there and then. Yeah. They always go and dub it over. So they've got to pay for then for the... Original- Aye, so what's the point? <laughs> like, what is... It's a waste of money. 
But you know, it, but but I yes, I've I, I played <laughs> learned to play the piano as a kid. So, but yeah, he still dubbed it. That's so crazy. Shame. But I was about to say the directing side of things got to be something that you're yeah. taking steps into. Yeah, I'm sort of slowly working my way towards it. Nobody's stopping me doing it other than myself. So I'm producing another film this year uh, with our company, uh, the, uh, an adaptation of The Outrun, Amy Liptrop's The Outrun in Orkney. Yeah. Um, so uh, actually everybody's up there just now on the final sort of pre-shoot recce and I should be there. Um, Sorry. No, it's not this. not because of this. I've got to shoot, I've got to shoot on, on Thursday. And something can you can't go. tell us about. Yeah. Something I can't tell you about. And then James I've, Bond. Everybody. No, no. And then I've got to go. <laughs> then I've got to go, imagine. And then I've got to go up and do that. And, and I, 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 I love the things I'm getting to do as an actor. Are you going to be in it as well? No, which is even oh, better. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is even more fun. Relishing it even more. No, I'm, but I, uh, it's shot between London and Orkney and the tiny, tiny, tiny islands in, in Orkney. So it's just going to be such an adventure. But it, it, it is all sort of a delaying tactic, mm. stopping myself making the leap into directing. What's stopping you? Um, I don't feel prepared. And I know that there's probably a large school of thought that would say it doesn't matter, just go and do it and make, make loads of mistakes. And the problem is, is like you can do that as an actor because it's not your money. <laughs> And it's not you, you know, I, but, but I, I feel it would be other people's money. Yeah. I also just feel I'm also starting to get to a stage with acting where I actually feel half decent at it or, or sort of I, I can accept what I'm doing. I've sort of gone, that's what I'll, that's what I do, right? I'm not, it's not going <laughs> to Oh, get... that's what I put down on the application <laughs> yeah, form. <laughs> that's what I do. Right, okay, fine. And I'm sort of relaxing into the acting a little bit more, um, which took a long, long time. But also the producing side of stuff is just great. I just feel like I'm learning, you know, I'm just picking up as many skills, making as many mistakes, you know, that I can mm. um, with great people and people and just learning, you know, that, it, that it's it's really a team and I feel like I need to find a team yeah. of, of people uh, I, I, and so then I can make the jump in. I mean, I've, al- I've already written a short film that I've been more, that I've wanted to make for about five years yeah. and it's there and I can make it. It's quite a difficult, technically it would be quite difficult, probably wouldn't it work, but the essence of it. You only won't, won't know until you, until you do it. I know, but the, the, the essence of it is very, 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 very personal, which took me a long time to realise that that's probably the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's all about imagination and it's all sorts of, it's all about in, in your head and all this kind of stuff, which is where I live. So <laughs> it's got a handy place and it's called Haim. It already um, It's got music in it Oh I No it really does um, So I, I'm hopefully Going to find Time to do that But I've been saying that For the past sort of Three four years But but I genuinely am Having to do things Well uh, I hope you'll come back And talk about it When you get oh, around to doing it I will um, Jack always an absolute treat And um, look forward to seeing you In the next Bond as well Friend oh, <laughs> For those of you listening I have a running gag with Jack That he's going to be I genuinely I, This is a genuine thing though I genuinely think you should be the next James Bond. That's lovely. And I've been saying it for... I know you have. ...five years. So if Barbara Broccoli's listening, at least give him a bell. All right? (laughs) (laughs) Jack Loudon, love you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Love you too.
From the score to his favourite film, that's Full Circle by Christopher Gordon, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Jack Loudon. My huge thanks to Jack for taking the time to talk to us. Don't forget that preview screening of Benediction at your local view on the 18th of May, though do check your local listings. Uh, For more details, you can head to myview.com. And if you haven't watched Slow Horses yet, please do go and watch it. It's available on Apple TV and there's just something absolutely magical about the pairing of Jack Loudon and Gary Oldman. I think it's a pairing that should continue a lot in the future. And if you're new to the podcast, you can head to edithbowman.com to catch up with all of our previous episodes. And please do follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. I'll be back next week with another episode of Soundtrack and exploring the beautiful and wonderful relationship between music, film and TV. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.